Welcome to the vodcast. In the past, I presented information to you about fake science, science that has been bought and paid for by various industries or was purchased to promote a societal agenda. Despite acknowledgement of the problem by key players in the scientific community, the problem hasn't gotten better. It's getting significantly worse. Why am I bringing it to your attention today? Because the agenda of some of those purchasing the conclusions they want via fake science is that it will be used by legislators to obstruct your life, to prevent you from exercising your right to live as you see fit. In other words, the fake science will be used to diminish your personal liberty. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. I define fake science as published studies, the conclusions of which are demonstrably false. In many cases, such as the ones I'm going to share with you today, it's relatively simple to disprove the study's findings if you have a brain. I think we can all agree that facts, data, and evidence should inform our decisions rather than confirmation bias. Sadly, as you probably know, the vast majority of people read a media headline about a study and immediately accept the premise is true without viewing the study because what they saw in the headline feeds their confirmation bias. Without a shred of evidence, they've already decided something is true, so an article in the media with the headline that reinforces their confirmation bias is all they need to accept the article is true. The next level up, if I can call it that, are those who actually read the content of the media article but never look at the study report. The next level, then, is those who look at the study, but only at its title. That's good enough for them, especially if the study title feeds their confirmation bias. From there, we have the folks who will read the study abstract, but stop there because it says what they want to hear. Things like how the study was designed or what mechanisms were used to ascertain or analyze data are not important to them. What they read made them feel validated, so they got the part they wanted. There is a tiny percentage of people who will read the body of the study, but have little or no understanding of what they're reading. Now, I applaud those folks for making the effort. Science has its own highly technical language, and that can make it challenging to read the main body of studies. I'd guess somewhere in the range of one one-thousandth of one percent of the public reads a study report and has a full understanding of everything they're seeing. Because it's tough for a layperson to understand scientific jargon, the Cochrane Collaboration, which is currently the platinum standard for reviewing scientific claims to test their validity, now provides a summary of their findings in plain English so the public can understand the conclusions, even if they can't understand the scientific jargon in the study. As an aside, before I jump into the fake science involving published studies, I'd like to remind you that much of what you were told was science... <laughs> during 2020, 2021, and 2022, has since been proven false. In other words, the establishment put out a massive amount of fake science. I began calling them out on their fake science beginning in April of 2020. Because I told my audience there was a difference between credible science and fake science, and showed them that much of what was being put out was fake science, Facebook took down my professional page, and YouTube removed my channel. I bring that up because I never want the American people to forget who it was who were promoting fake science and thus endangering your welfare. 
I could literally go on for hours about fake science studies, but today I'll just touch on two issues that have been featured in the news lately. One is that eating meat causes cancer, and the other is eating meat causes type 2 diabetes. Let's begin with the claim that eating red meat causes cancer. A 2020 study, the link for which I'll put in the notes, makes the claim that researchers have proven a causal link between the consumption of red meat and cancer. Its assertion is based on an association between cancer and a substance called L-glyconeuromatic acid, more commonly referred to as NU5GC. The story of NU5G is very sciencey, so I'm not going to get into all of that. Instead, I'm going to give you the short and sweet of the claim. It goes like this. The human body can't produce NU5GC because it lacks the enzyme necessary to do so. However, humans are one of the few mammals that don't produce NU5GC. The mammalian animals whose meat we consume as food do produce NU5GC, and when we eat their flesh, NU5GC is absorbed by our bodies. The NU5GC is then absorbed by our cells, goes through some steps within the cells, and then is placed on the surface of the cells as a glycan used by our innate immune system to identify friend from foe. Even though NU5GC is foreign to the body, the cells put it on their surface because it is molecularly very similar to a sialic acid our body does make called nu 5 AC instead of GC. However, because NU5GC is foreign, its appearance on the surface of the cell produces an antigenic response in the form of anti-NU5GC immunoglobulins, more commonly known as antibodies. As far as we've gone to this point, there is no scientific dispute. Everyone is in agreement. However, from this point forward, what you'll be hearing is unsubstantiated theory. The claim that red meat causes cancer is based on anti-NU5GC antibodies causing inflammation. Those who trumpet this theory refer to it as chronic inflammation and claim it drives cancer, colorectal cancer in particular. Earlier I said there is an association between NU5GC and cancer. Let me explain that. On the surface of cancer cells, researchers find an unusually high number of NU5GC glycans. This has led to some researchers asserting that the proliferation of NU5GC glycans on the surface of those cells means the cells became cancerous because of the high level of NU5GC glycans brought more antibodies to the cell, resulting in elevated inflammation, and the elevated inflammation caused the cell to become cancerous. But there's a critical hole in their theory, and science doesn't work that way. If there's a hole in what one is presenting, all you have is an unsubstantiated theory, not a scientifically proven fact. The critical hole is this. The researchers who claim the anti-NU5GC antibodies cause cancer have never been able to find any healthy cells with elevated levels of NU5GC glycans. For their theory to come anywhere close to being considered proven, they'd have to identify healthy cells with elevated levels of NU5GC glycans and then observe those cells become cancerous. That process has never been observed. Having never observed that, it's just as likely that the proliferation of NU5GC glycans didn't cause the cancer, but the cancer caused the proliferation of NU5GC. In short, the claim that researchers have identified NU5GC as the cause of cancer is fake science. Then we come to questions no study has addressed. NU5GC, which is not produced by the human body, and NU5AC, which is produced by the human body, 
are nearly identical, differing only by a single oxygen molecule. Is it possible that due to their almost identical chemical profile, the anti-NU5GC antibodies aren't particularly aggressive? In other words, is it possible that the existence of such antibodies may not translate into inflammation at all, no less the chronic inflammation claimed by the fake science researchers? Then we have this. There is speculation that at one time, NU5GC was produced in the human body. So what if the immune system's response isn't particularly robust because our bodies have a genetic memory of NU5GC? Here's the definition of genetic memory. Quote, genetic memory describes a variety of processes in biology and psychology by which genetic material confers a memory of an individual's or species' past history. It can refer to the genetic code of DNA, epigenetic changes to the genetic material, or the inheritance of instinct. Close quote. As a side note, I don't find the idea that humans used to produce NU5GC persuasive. I offer it only to illustrate there are a lot of questions researchers aren't asking about NU5GC. Another question never considered is after millions of years of humans being preferential carnivores, is it possible NU5GC in the human body derived from eating animal flesh provides a necessary or desirable human biological function. And anti-NU5GC antibodies don't exist to eradicate a dangerous invader, but merely to control the level of NU5GC in the body. In other words, could it be at a certain level NU5GC is beneficial, but above that level is counterproductive, so the body keeps the level in check? Another question never addressed is... Why do researchers assert the alleged cancer-causing effects of NU5GC disproportionately affect the colon and rectum? I'll get to that in a minute. I posit to you that in the absence of these questions being asked, which of course means they haven't been answered, any claim that NU5GC causes cancer is specious. It is fake science. So what's behind this fake science? Representing this unsubstantiated theory as scientifically proven fact promotes a political and cultural agenda we've all been aware of for quite some time now. That agenda is to get people to stop eating meat. Is there any evidence the claim that new 5GC causes cancer isn't just unsubstantiated, but flat out wrong? Why, yes. Yes, there is. Let's start with ancient man. There is no evidence cancer existed in any meaningful quantity in ancient times. In fact, when the University of Manchester examined hundreds of Egyptian mummies, they found just one that had cancer. Allow me to quote from the university's findings. After discussing that there was almost no literary reference to cancer, the report stated, quote, Evidence proves that cancer was extremely rare in antiquity. The disease rate has risen massively since the Industrial Revolution, in particular, childhood cancer, proving that the rise is not simply due to people living longer. Close quote. Professor Rosalie David said, quote, In industrialized societies, cancer is second only to cardiovascular disease as a cause of death. But in ancient times, it was extremely rare. 
There is nothing in the natural environment that can cause cancer. So it has to be a man-made disease down to pollution and changes to our diet and lifestyle. The important thing about our study is that it gives a historical perspective to this disease. We can make very clear statements on the cancer rates in societies because we have a full overview. We have looked at millennia, not 100 years, and have masses of data close Quote, did you catch the part about changes to our diet? In body science, I show that ancient man's diet was almost exclusively animal flesh. So, if the purveyors of fake science were right, then cancer would have been rampant in ancient society. Yet it wasn't. Now let's leap forward from ancient times to our current period. Worldwide, there are millions of people eating carnivore style. In other words, there are millions of people who eat nothing but meat, or overwhelmingly meat. If the purveyors of fake science were right, then we should see a significantly higher than average rate of cancer in the carnivore community. But just the opposite is true. It is damn near impossible to find anyone who has been eating carnivore for years who is diagnosed with cancer. The reason for that are the following. First, the blood glucose level of those eating carnivore style remains at or near baseline throughout the day because the hundred trillion cells of your body are not fueled by glucose, but by fatty acids and, to a lesser extent, ketones. Since cancer cells need glucose to exist, cells that have zero glucose is obviously a tremendous obstacle to getting cancer. Cells without a fuel source do not survive. So, if cancer cells need glucose in the cells, and there isn't any, cancer cells cannot exist. Second, cancer cells are anaerobic and use fermentation to elevate the production of something called NAD+, which is necessary for the cancer cells to proliferate. Fermentation is not possible without an abundance of sugar. Sugar in the human body is known as glucose. When it comes to fueling the 100 trillion cells of the human body, there are only two hemispheres. One is glucosis, in which the cellular mitochondria use glucose for fuel. The other is ketosis, in which the mitochondria use fatty acids for fuel. The cells of a person living in glucosis are chock full of glucose. And when glucose levels in the cells fall, the person then feels hungry, eats again, thus replenishing the glucose in the cells. If a person has been in ketosis for some period of time, the cells get to the point where they engage in something called glucose rejection, which means they will not accept any glucose. Since glucose, sugar, is required by cancer cells for the fermentation process that takes place within the cells, if the cells have no glucose inside them, then no fermentation can occur. If fermentation can't take place, there is no replication and proliferation of cancerous cells. Since the very nature of cancer can be described as unchecked, out-of-control cellular replication, if replication is not possible due to the lack of glucose in the cells, there is no cancer. Period. Remember I asked why researchers assert alleged cancer-causing effects of new 5GC disproportionately affect the colon and rectum? The answer is they're covering up what's really causing colorectal cancer. Here's an excerpt from page 95 of Body Science, my book on human physiology and disease. Quote, A closing note on cancer in the 20th and 21st centuries, unrelated to the glucose-insulin cycle. 
Researchers have known since the mid-70s that high consumption of polyunsaturated fats in the form of vegetable oil increased the odds of getting colon cancer 300% in all other forms of cancer by 200%. If the trajectory of the increase in colon and rectal cancer observed from 1975 to 2010 remains constant moving forward, Researchers at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center tell us to expect a 90% increase in colon cancer in people ages 20 to 34 and 124% increase in rectal cancer by 2030. Despite this, the U.S. government and the medical industry continue telling Americans to get their dietary fat from healthy sources such as vegetable oil. It's almost as if the government is the taxpayer-funded marketing arm of the processed food industry. But that couldn't be true, right? Close quote. As you may be aware, vegetable oil doesn't come from vegetables at all. What is called vegetable oil on your grocery store shelf is, in reality, industrially extracted in a factory from nuts, seeds, and grains. The extraction of oil from nuts, seeds, and grains only became possible via industrial technology at the turn of the 20th century. Can you imagine any other product concerning which the FDA or the Federal Trade Commission would allow such a grotesquely misleading description? Why does the government allow oil from nuts, seeds, and grains to be marketed under the false and misleading name vegetable oil? Because allowing that false and misleading name supports the establishment narrative that processed foods created in factories aren't giving you cancer. Eating meat is giving you cancer. As an aside, Pfizer does not want you to know ketosis stops cancer because Pfizer's next big push to make hundreds of billions of dollars is a cancer drug. Now, let's get back to new 5GC. I've eaten carnivore-style for years now, so if the fake science purveyor's right, my inflammation markers should be pretty high, right? Let's see if that's true. A while back, I had an SED blood test, which measures inflammation in the body. For a male, you want to be below 22. The further one is below 22, the less inflammation in your body. Mine was 2. According to the fake science purveyors, I should have chronic inflammation from eating meat. But I don't, and neither do millions of other people who eat carnivore style. I'll share another fact with you. A few years ago, I had a coronary calcium scan, and my score was zero. You do not get a score of zero when eating a diet that causes inflammation, because inflammation is one of the primary drivers of cardiovascular disease. Let's talk briefly about the second area of fake science being put out recently. The claim that eating meat causes type 2 diabetes. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because it's just too idiotic. Instead, I'll simply return to looking at the carnivore community. If the purveyors of fake science are right, then the carnivore community should be rife with type 2 diabetes, right? But it's not. In fact, it's just the opposite. You can't find anyone who eats carnivore style who has type 2 diabetes. Not a single person. I think it obvious that when researchers say eating meat causes type 2 diabetes, yet in a community of millions of people who eat nothing but meat, you can't find a single case of type 2 diabetes, they're running a fake science scam on you. As you can see, it's not difficult to show these fake science claims are false. If you look at real science, it will disprove the fake science. If you read the fake science studies, you'll find giant holes in them. 
And of course, there is the common sense approach we use today, which is to look at a community that would have a prevalence of the disease, if the fake science were true, and find a complete absence of the disease as we have today. While we're on the subject of common sense, I'd like to share a true story that happened in the last week or so, because it illustrates the lack of public common sense I often see. I want to share the story because if people can't apply the common sense we're about to discuss, then the establishment can fool the public about, well, anything. Here's the story. A fellow on social media claimed that if a person doesn't eat sugar, eventually that person will die. How easy is it to evaluate that claim? Pretty easy. Sugar is processed from various sources, mostly sugarcane and sugar beets. Since it is processed, we know sugar didn't always exist. You may have heard of a landmass known as Europe. Sugar didn't reach Europe until the 13th century. So, if people die from not consuming sugar, Europe should have had a pre-13th century population of zero. <laughs> Closer to home. I haven't consumed any sugar in more than five years, so I wonder when I'm going to die from lack of sugar. And of course, there are people who haven't eaten sugar in decades. I wonder when they're going to die from not eating sugar. In many cases, it really is just that easy to debunk not only the statements of random people on social media, but fake science reports as well. What purpose do these fake study reports serve? The most obvious purpose is propaganda in support of corrupt agendas. As we discussed at the outset, most people only read the article headline or the title of the study, so media stories featuring fake science can affect the views of millions of people. Yet, there is a more insidious purpose for the onslaught of fake science we're seeing. These fake science studies build on one another like a pyramid, with the upper tiers being laid upon what has come before. In other words, the goal of the fake science purveyors is to get to the point where a person who wants to figure out how this scam was put together will have to read not only the current report, but also the numerous studies that are cited as the foundation upon which a current report relies. Since probably 99% of the public doesn't read more than the article headline or a study title, what are the odds they'll read four or five earlier studies offered as foundation for the current study? I'd say the odds are zero. Prior to everything being put on the internet, scientific research only appeared in printed journals that were read almost exclusively by other scientists who understood what they were reading. As such, fake science wasn't very prevalent. Today, with everything posted on the internet, the game has changed dramatically. Today, study reports are intended to influence the masses who have no clue what they're looking at. If a study is worthless garbage, but the media headline parroting the claim of the study is seen by 20 million people, then it's considered a success in terms of why the garbage was put together in the first place. If the worthless garbage, the fake science, was only intended to affect the views of the public, that would be bad enough. But as I said in the intro, this fake science is being used to lay the foundation for future legislation. We just saw millions of Americans lose their right to make a crucial medical decision for themselves. Do you think your decision about what you'd care to eat is immune from the actions of agendized politicians?
Just last week, New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced that any institution under the city's authority will be moving to a plant-based food regime. In that speech, he challenged the private sector to do the same. Do you think he and his ilk will stand by idly when the private sector ignores his agenda? The fake science he offered in support of his actions is that a plant-based diet is healthier for the individual and it will reduce man-made global warming, now euphemistically called climate change. On the opposite side of the country, the city of Berkeley, California, enacted the same policy in June 2022. Would the courts uphold legislation restricting consumers from purchasing meat? I think the answer is clearly no, but that's not how it will be done. Fake science will be used to create legislation that interferes with the supply of meat, not restrict you from purchasing it. When we talk about interfering with the supply of meat, there's a reason Bill Gates has been buying up all the American farmland he can get his hands on. Fake science is nothing new. It's just accelerated significantly in the last couple of decades. Allow me to share with you an excerpt from Body Science. Quote, The most famous iceberg may be the one that sank the Titanic, but the iceberg of U.S. nutritional research fraud, of which so few are aware, has been consistently and quietly sinking the health of our nation by destroying the health of its citizens on a scale never before seen in human history. Private research organizations rely primarily on corporate funding. Sure, these days they are required to disclose their funding sources, and researchers must file conflict of interest statements, but virtually no one, most especially the American public, reads the statements or compares them to the research performed and the results reported. Now, a week goes by that I don't see at least one or more articles with headlines telling us about the latest and greatest nutritional research revelation. When I read the articles, which usually omit a link to a study, Far more often than not, the claims are utter nonsense. Even the most rudimentary knowledge of physiology debunks them in a hot second. Yet, the American people, the vast majority of whom have no knowledge of physiology, are endlessly bombarded with stories about one nonsense study after another. Ironically, even the giant processed food conglomerates have to deal with the tsunami of false research claims. Those enterprises who need solid science from which to develop their latest and greatest product, have found that in 43% of cases, their in-house laboratories, which are the best money can buy, cannot replicate the results detailed in published scientific study reports. Think about that. We're heading towards half of all claimed research results being either fraudulent or the result of ineptitude. Close quote. The problem is worse today than when I wrote those words. In terms of the health of the American people, industry-funded fake science began in earnest in the late 1950s. Fake science was, and is, the cornerstone of the U.S. government's nutritional disinformation campaign that began in 1980 and continues to this very day. It is no accident that from 1980 forward, chronic disease exploded in the United States, and with that an unprecedented expansion of Big Med and Big Pharma. Virtually everything you've been told about nutrition and human physiology in the last 50 years has been wrong, and it hasn't been a mistake. The American people have been intentionally misled in order to make them ill, in order to generate massive profits for trillion-dollar industries. 
That may be hard for some people to swallow, but it is, nevertheless, true. When I discover something I've been told is false, especially by the government, I cannot rest until I have uncovered the truth. Seeing the grotesque falsehoods put out by industry and government concerning nutritional physiology, which is obediently parroted by the media, is what motivated me to write body science. I can't compete with industry, government, or the media when it comes to getting a message out, but I can get the truth out to you. Body science shows you the government's lies, then shows what real science tells us, and then provides a path to becoming incredibly healthy, just like your ancestors were. Despite the fact that at its core, body science is a physiology book, science jargon is kept to a minimum, and every point is explained in plain English. In other words, the science is presented in a way everyone can understand. To reset your brain from the lies to truth concerning nutritional physiology, read body science. It has never gotten less than five out of five stars in reader reviews. You can get your copy at drreality.news, drreality.news. The link is in the notes. While you're there, check out what readers have said about income tax shattering the myths, which provides a mountain of irrefutable evidence that Congress has never imposed the income tax on the ordinary working American like you. In other words, if you've been paying income tax, you're the victim of the largest financial crime in history that's being perpetrated against the American people by the federal government. When I suggest you check out the reader comments, that's because in the 13 years income tax shattering the miss has been on the market, it has never received less than a four-star rating, with most being five stars. Here's an example. Alistair said, As a person going on my 11th year of leaving the income tax scam, I highly encourage everyone to read Income Tax Shattering the Myths. Don't you owe it to yourself to learn the truth, to quit being duped? Can never thank you enough for bestowing financial liberty upon me, Dave. Close quote. So click the link in the notes to get Body Science and or Income Tax Shattering the Myths. They will be two of the most fascinating books you've ever read. My word to you on that. Also, by purchasing Income Tax Shattering the Myths and or Body Science, you help me to continue to be here for you with these thought-provoking presentations. Please share this vodcast, and thanks for being here. Take care.